episode of Work Stoppage, everybody. This is the 12th one, and in keeping with finally making our way into the double digits, we have some very exciting news items to share with you. The first and most important is that I found the wireless dongle for my mouse, and I don't have to use my shitty corded mouse anymore. Congratulations! Thank you so much. It's such a relief. I'm just waiting for the battery to die and suck we've, all the fun out of my we, accomplishment. Well, we've met the we've met the conditions of the wireless mouse, and it is working again. <laughs> <laughs> the wireless mouse was like, "Hey, look, I'm not going to be able to perform my job if you don't find my dongle." And I was like, oh, "I was just, I was a bad boss for a long time." Is basically what I was. I was like, "I'm not looking for that fucking dongle. I'm I'm going to use the scab <laughs> corded mouse." And now I'm, I'm ashamed of that. I am deeply ashamed. But now I've reunited and it feels so good with my cordless mouse, uh, which is also much larger than my corded mouse. So it's taking me a little bit of readjustment here. Nice. Well, um, I think that in actual news, uh, we are going to uh, <laughs> go back to doing this. So like, I thought that you were going to go in the direction of, oh, we're on 12. So that means that we're moving in a new direction. We're, except for we're definitely not moving in a new direction. We are still <laughs> talking about teachers. I like, mean, what, what else I mean, is we, there to talk about right now? Because schools are reopening. They continue to be in the reopening phase. And all of the fucking awful shit that we've been saying will happen if you keep reopening schools. This episode is just going to be us basically being like, we were right. We were right the whole time. We tried to warn you. Yeah. And and and, and I really wish that the, it felt good to be right. I really wish that it did. Because <laughs> um, it does not. It actually is kind of terrifying. Uh, even I was uh, talking to my therapist today, and she was saying that one of her kids was in school. And just through talking with her, she's like, by the end, she just said... I am, when we're done with this, I'm calling the school and I'm going to pull my son out of school immediately. And I'm like, good, good. You need to be like, seriously, I call to everyone, like go talk to your, your family members or anything like get those children out of school. Yeah. I mean, whatever you have to do, whether you're going to homeschool them, sign them up for some kind of online course or whatever, you know that a bunch of those have to be rolling out right now. And I know that like a lot of them are going to be from private schools. A lot of them are going to be weird and you're not sure how well credentialed they are and stuff. But like if you're a parent right now, part of being a responsible parent is finding a responsible way to educate your child during a pandemic. And it's going to be really difficult come to think that's probably something i should have looked at before we started recording the episode but like what some resources are that um that parents can use during this time to make sure that they don't have to send their, yeah. their child to in-person education uh but <laughs> i i didn't think about that till just now so <laughs> right yeah no no right you're right we're, we're presenting a lot of problems and not a lot of solutions and unfortunately a lot of this episode is going to be more of the same i mean sometimes we we have some solutions if you ever ch- always check out what the um episode notes are um like last week uh, during the page, the Patreon episode, we included the uh, Mo Evil Foods interviews uh, from working people, and um, we're always trying to like make sure that there, we can direct you in a place where you can get the information that you need to actually act on the things that we're talking about. Because it doesn't actually make a difference if you just know about it. Like right. I, you actually, we need to be able to go out there and and hold solidarity with all of these people fighting for better conditions, not only at work, but in life in general. Well, speaking of going out there and holding solidarity, we have our first follow-up, um, the whole episode, basically, <laughs> which, is actually, but- which is actually about me uh, constantly, because I ragged on uh, the Chicago Teachers Union for their one demand about uh, not only on uh, the episode, the public episode um, two weeks ago, but also uh, on our episode with... Um, with death panel and yeah. i had someone reach out to me and say hey just so you know like you know that's a that's a valid critique but also know that the chicago teachers union has been pretty militant and uh this strike that they had uh done or the th- that they had threatened to do came after three strikes in seven years and basically like a lot of really good actions that set the precedent to basically scare uh, anyone from even daring to go against them. Uh, so uh, I did want to bring up like some really great things about the Chicago Teachers Union, and and um, and so like 
in 2019, they went on strike. Uh, in 2012, they went on strike. And then I, I know that there was another one in here. Um, but basically, they have been out there doing uh, actions specifically since uh, 2012 when their union went on strike for the first time in 25 years to protest um, uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel uh, when he was trying to basically hold, like, put pe- uh, teachers' pay uh in contrast to the standardized testing scores. And basically, so if uh, kids didn't score as well on tests, teachers would get less money. And right. um, and teachers are not going to have it. Like, that's that's stupid. You can't, like, so if someone doesn't have as, much, as, uh, uh, as good a testing scores, does that mean that they should have less money? I think it almost should be inverted. Like, yeah, if they right. don't, like, but it's never the way that it works. And it's always about austerity for uh, people in need. Well, and they're trying to to disadvantage like poor public schools, especially where like teachers have an insane number of students per teacher. It's very, very hard to give all of these kids like an in-depth one-on-one education. And then you've already like structurally disadvantaged them into that position. And then you want to say, Oh, and by the way, if they don't get good test scores, you don't make as much money or you don't get as much funding for your class or both, you know? So, yeah. So, and, and I and I think that that's really great that like all they really had to do was uh, threaten to strike to get their needs met or to get their demands met. Um, they basically uh, this is actually another thing relating to my therapist is she was saying that uh, she has a phone number out of Chicago and so she gets the email texts about school related stuff and the, she's like oh yeah they said that everything is remote they're doing remote learning there and uh, and I. Just you just love to see it when uh when a union is actually able to protect people in the community like that. Because really without these uh workers out there demanding uh fair treatment in the conditions that we live in, like there would be a bunch of dead teachers, a bunch of dead students. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so shout out to the Chicago Teachers Union for sure. And and look out for, you know, a year or two down the line when the Chicago, uh, you know, Board of Education or Department of Education or whatever tries to take credit for this, even though their hand was completely and utterly forced by the teachers union. And, you know, just remember that, like, remember that whatever, whatever gains towards safety are made, like, you know, 99% of the time they come from labor being organized in, in one fashion or another. Yeah. 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 Because like, they're going to be like, Oh, look at all, all the deaths in all these other schools and look at how good we did. And then like totally not give credit to the teachers who basically created this environment of like, how, how would you describe it? Where, where like they are, they just get their demands met because they know like the people in power know that if they don't do something, it's going to go very badly for them. Well, it's power. It's a situation of an of empowered workers, right? Like these workers are experienced. They've a lot of them have been in this union long enough to see these strike actions work and set precedents and and continue to get things done down the line. And I think a lot of people are very concerned. You know, whether you're in labor organizing, whether you're just like uh, you know, politically left or whatever, they they're they're overly concerned with like the the moment. They're like, there's a moment where we're going to collide, and if we don't win that battle, it's all over for us. And it's like, you know, I'm sure the Chicago teachers union has faced tons and tons of setbacks as they work their way towards the kind of like goals that they're achieving. And it's really important that like, once you realize that this is a long-term investment and it, and it's like really a way, not just to, to work, but to like live your life and take care of the people around you and build power with the people around you, then you become invested in continuing to do it. And that's, you know, people see, they look at the word militancy, like it's, like it's a bad thing, but militancy is really just like the conviction that you get when you know that something is going to work because it's worked before you've, you've seen it, you have empirical evidence that that's the way that it works. Or that you're like really willing to stand up for what you believe. So like, this is a perfect example. Do you believe that children should be safe? Yeah, like, I mean, absolutely. Then so and so, why would you do anything but have an absolute militant approach to keeping children safe? It doesn't make any sense to me to 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 shame uh, the, any sort of militancy. Well, no, it, it doesn't. It's all political, right? Because like this is the country that like has that for years when I was growing up would have like periodically 
periodic freakouts. Like, you know, kids are being abducted off the street. What's happening to our children? Our children staying out later and later, more at 11, you know, and it's like so much about like the safety and well-being of children. And then when now it's like pack them into classes. Yeah. When that becomes the thing that's on the line, when, when it's like, Oh, if we actually look out for the safety of children, it's going to be a lot harder to get all of the adults back to work. It's like, well, you know, uh, now you Sucks find out where our suck. priorities really <laughs> are. What they would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what they're saying. They're, they're saying sucks to suck because they are the ones in power. In fact, I think a lot of these people on like the boards who are making this, these decisions probably don't actually have a lot of risk. Like they're not going to be constantly in the situations where they're going to be spreading COVID. Um, right. and, and they're going to be sheltered. And we see that with the ruling class in general, basically it being shifted from them being at risk initially to now all of the, the working class people being at risk and they don't give a goddamn. No, well, it doesn't matter to them. It's, it's whatever makes the most money. Right. And it's like, it's nice to think that like schools are uh, a self-contained kind of environment that's like, Oh, these are just a part of the, of the state that's there to give children a good education and, and make sure that they grow up happy and healthy. But that's not what schools are at all. Schools are, a, a state-run babysitting program so that they can force all of the adults to go off to work. And then it's also a state-operated indoctrination program or conditioning program that gets you that gets you an idea of what kind of career path you're going to have and separates everybody out into groups of, of speciality and, and, you know, in a lot of ways prepares you to become a fucking service industry worker or, or like, you know, whatever other bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I, not that I those aren't it. good jobs, but like those are jobs that are looked down on by society. Right. And I, and I love your point about it being like a glorified daycare, uh, because that's actually one specific thing that our, um, our next story, uh, plays in, or talks about, mm-hmm. um, with the Michigan university graduate students striking uh, against all in-person classes, um, one of the things that's in their demands, and, and, I, and I'm going to skip to that first, is specifically to make sure that health, that, that childcare is provided to all people, even while in-person classes are not uh, going to be happening or in their demands. Uh, right. So I think that, that uh, it shows that that is still a priority for the union movement. This is like, yes, we do need to make sure that the children are safe, they have proper care, and... Um, and that it's literally a part of the demands. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, it really goes to show that like when you have a union that's made up of, of instructors and, and, you know, graduate students, they're, they're kind of in between being a student and a teacher in, in many situations, they have a lot of face to face interaction with people who are their students with people who have to come in and attend these classes. And it's like you develop a sense of compassion for these people that you never get sitting in a fucking office somewhere in, you know, the middle of a labyrinth on a college campus, just like deciding who gets hired and who gets fired and who makes how much money. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really nice to see that like the solidarity doesn't just extend among like coworkers and other faculty members, but that they're they're, like the union is really trying to look out for everybody here. And, and honestly, this is the other thing that gets me is it's like, if the administrators just listened to the union, they would be better off too, (laughs) but they, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's actually, um, generally principle. So I think that one of the things about a union contract is that it will improve your work conditions. And so it will mm-hmm. probably make you a better worker. At right. least I, I believe that. And so it would stand to reason that it would benefit the company if you had better work conditions. And so then things would go better. But yet somehow companies constantly, or co- companies and organizations uh, constantly fight against unions. And it's not because they don't know that it will increase the... Um, like the quality of the work that's going on, it's actually specifically because they don't want to not have an authoritarian grasp on your life. Yeah. Well, I mean like ask, ask for a raise, you know, and like the answer that you'll get a lot of the time is it's like, Oh, that's, that's a precedent. You know, if, if I give you $12 an hour, I'm going to have to give everybody who does what you do $12 an hour. So I'm afraid, you know, we, we just can't do it. It's not in the budget to give everyone a raise. And it's like, well, what the fuck are you talking about? Like if you paid me more money, 
I would show up and be happier at work and do better work and be more enthusiastic about my job. I wouldn't like, be worried about my bills evict- or about, about getting evicted or not getting my water shut off, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I love that, too, because like uh, your boss will be like, hey, get off the phone. You know, it's work hours. And it's like, I'm actually dealing with problems that are caused by you not paying me enough fucking money a lot of the time. Like, if I have to have a fucking exterminator or a plumber or an electrician or a cable guy or anything out to my house, like, that's a huge pain in my ass. Uh, and I can't even imagine what it's like for people with fucking, with, with kids, you know? Like, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, yeah, and we, yeah, and then reminds me, we're getting a little uh, off topic, but because it's easy to do when you, we, there, all, all of these issues are so intertwined. It's, it's yeah. seriously, uh, there, there's no, no reason to not have a union. And one good thing is, is that these Michigan University graduate students actually do have a union. And when I was reading this story, I was a little surprised because um, I was in Pittsburgh, where, um, where you are, John. And the um, Pitt students have been trying to form a union for many, many, many years. And, uh, and, I, and I thought that there was, like, some sort of, like, gray area legality behind it. And uh, it is true that they are not allowed to strike if it's going to interfere with classes. But these graduate students have thrown that out the window and basically said, we don't Good. care. This is too important. And I you love to see it absolutely yeah. because um like that what are they gonna do like fire all these graduate students when we have a huge like we don't have enough teachers in general and so that's another reason why these graduate students are teachers and then also they are not paid well enough and there's there's it, it just stacks and stacks of, of issues that are antagonized by the the administration yeah and it's really worth noting that like if these if this strike goes on for a long time like it will bring things to a grinding halt these graduate students are not um of, uh, they're not a small minority of of the staff or the people who keep the school running there's roughly a thousand of them at this university um at uh Michigan University is this mm-hmm. U of M yeah, yeah this, this is U of M is, yep in um in Ann Arbor in Ann Arbor. Yeah. And so like, uh, you know, when a thousand members of your staff at, even at a, even at a quite large college, like U of M is, uh, go on strike. Like that brings everything to a grinding fucking halt. Like these, these people teach a huge amount of the classes. They grade most of the papers. They do like all of the nitty gritty fucking legwork that keeps universities running. Yeah. This is actually their first strike since 1975. Uh, which again, I I'm forty five years. Wow, <laughs> you're right. Is that fifty five years? That's forty five years. Okay, it's two hundred years since their last their last strike, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, they they voted about about eighty percent of them agreed to this work stoppage, and they announced it on Labor Day. That's a um, huge majority. That's like yeah. There's no question when you have that many people vote in favor. 800-ish people said, yeah, this is unacceptable. We should not have in-person classes. In fact, they actually had a huge list of demands, and I want to go over a couple of them right now. Um, So one of the things that they wanted was a very, like, transparent system around plans for testing, contract tracing, and campus safety, because apparently they are already trying to get people to go back to school without that. In fact, even in the yeah. local area where I am, we've seen that. When I was uh, talking to, again, I was talking to my therapist, and she said, well, they've sent me some information, but everything is constantly shifting, and I don't know what is actually stuck. And and that lack of transparency is is a problem. We don't know like if people are safe without that sort of transparency in the plan. Uh, and so that's that's really that's their first demand. Um, they also want the ability to work remotely without any sort of documentation and which is something I, I am a big proponent of. I don't think that anyone should need an excuse to, to work remotely for any job. They, I mean, like if I could control a robot to, to make drinks at Starbucks or whatever, you know I mean? (laughs) I think that's the thing is it's like. It's an issue that was highlighted by the the whole coronavirus thing in general. It's like millions of people who have been told for years that they cannot do their jobs remotely are now doing their jobs remotely. And it's like, it doesn't just, 
it doesn't just like say like, oh, in a time of crisis, we could be doing this. It means that they could have let you do this the whole time. And it's another thing that would have saved them money, would have saved you money, would have saved you both time. It, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It doesn't even follow its own internal logic. So it's really, you know, it sucks that it's under these circumstances, but it is really nice to see these kind of contradictions become uncovered and become very obvious for anybody who cares to look at them. Yeah. Um, the next one is their demand for, um, for good healthcare plans and, and like childcare for, um, for any parents or caregivers, uh, within that, within their system. Uh, for international students, better inter- international center support and a repeal of the five hundred dollar uh, international student fee and document shipping fee. They would just charge international students five hundred dollars for document shipping or something like oh that. Oh my god! I, I, I don't know the details on that because it's like, but it's kind of a pretty well, pretty insane. The, the demand says, "Oh yeah, we want you to stop charging five hundred dollars arbitrarily to this one group," and just like, wait, they charge people arbitrarily (laughs) yeah well it's like it's already so fucking expensive to go to an american school especially if you have to come into the country from outside of the country because then you're never going to get the fucking in-state discounts or whatever and then on top of all that you know how universities are with overcharging for things like you buy all your your course books from the university library and it's like 1200 fucking dollars and then you sell them back at the end of the year and they're like i will give you 85 bucks (laughs) Like it's all just a big money mill. Like, yeah. So I'm I'm not shocked that they would charge international students five hundred dollars for document shipping. I bet it doesn't right. even come in a Manila envelope. I bet they fucking email it to you. Yeah. Make you print it out. Yeah. Oh gosh, like uh, like medical documents. They usually, I've heard that there's a lot of stuff around charging people for getting their own medical documents and, mm-hmm. and oh yeah that that's something that needs to end too. But um. All right, and so another one of their demands, and these, I think that this is all under their um, COVID nineteen demands because they actually have some uh, another series of totally based demands uh, coming up after the, that. But um, yeah. they want twenty five hundred dollars in um, unconditional emergency grant for all graduate students. That rules. Uh, so basically, they are demanding that they get money for being workers. Uh, they are also demanding rent freezes and flexible leases for on campus housing. Uh, that just, rips too. Just so good. Uh, just attacking they, on every front, exactly like they should be doing. Yeah. Um, then, and well, and exactly is what comes up in the next category, which is their anti-policing demands. Uh, one of <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah. Yeah, they're actually asking that the um, that U of M cut ties with the police, including Ann Arbor Police Department um, and ICE. Wow. Uh, defunding the Division of Public Safety and Security involving a cut of 50% to their annual budget and reallocation of those funds to community-based justice initiatives and access to a disarmed and demilitarized workplace where lethal weapons are prohibited. Our security services do not receive military funding. There is a transparency around the use of surveillance technology. There is a standard of force uh, for campus police, which that one makes me think, wait, so there's no standard of force for campus police? I mean, I I, I believe that it doesn't exist, but just it's one of those things where you read the demand and you're like, why the fuck is it like that? Well, it's like one of those things where you you know that in practice there's no standard of force, but you just kind of assume like I I had just assumed that there was at least something written down on a piece of paper somewhere that was like in this situation, it's appropriate to do this in this other situation. It's more appropriate to do this, but it kind of just seems like they hire people who didn't make the college football team and then they're just like all right here's a gun you figure it out <laughs> yeah and then they're and then their last one which is no one faces retaliation for being unable to work due to police presence i love the oh, i that love fucking rips i i love the i love the wording of that one it's like so i can't come to work because there are cops yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you turn my job into a fucking pig pen. There's like six dudes with guns in there. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Like, here's the thing. 
it's a, stop thinking about them as cops, you know, unless you already have a very negative opinion of cops, then go ahead and keep thinking about them that way. But just as a fun exercise, like just think about them as guys with guns. It's like if somebody called you and they were like, Hey, there's going to be six dudes with guns just walking around your workplace today. Uh, just checking in every so often you'd be like, uh, 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 what no. the fuck? I don't think <laughs> I'll be showing up today. Thank you very much. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that's totally reasonable. That's a 100% reasonable demand. Yeah. And this is a four day strike. And they said that it will be extended if their demands are not met. That rips. That was the thing I really liked too, is they said how long they were going to strike. And then they were like the end question mark. <laughs> Very powerful energy. To be if continued. It works, yeah. If it, if it works for old triple a video game titles and blockbuster films from the eighties and nineties, why shouldn't it work for labor unions? Exactly. Yeah, I, I love it. This honestly, um, such a good demands list, and it's also really great to see grad students out there demanding justice and 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 good and better work conditions, especially in light of the dangers of COVID nineteen. Speaking of the dangers of COVID nineteen, and especially what they could be if they played out on a grand scale, uh, I found a very interesting Twitter thread from a user called Sharky Marky Seventeen. Shouts out to them who says, uh, let me just open the Twitter thread because there's so much gold in here. I highlighted yeah, a I bunch of stuff. I was reading what that... you actually highlighted in here and I was <laughs> it's just like, wait a minute. So what you're telling me is that they put a bunch of regulations on paper mm-hmm. and like put some signs up around the dorms and then said, all right. And that was it. Yep. That was it. So this is San Diego State University in San Diego, California. And this post from... Um, Sharky Marky 17 says, I might lose my job by posting this, but at this point, I don't care. SDSU is literally killing students with their incompetence. Here's a thread exposing SDSU coming from someone who works in the residence halls. And there's a bunch of stuff in here uh, where they like link to another thread that they made about SDSU's initial COVID response plans and a very, very long Reddit post, uh, which is a critique of SDSU and its administration from another student's perspective. But then you have stuff in the thread like, I want to start off by saying all the issues I'm about to bring up stem from SDSU and President Adela De La Torres' decision to implement SDSU Flex this semester. Having students on campus at all this semester was an endangerment of all of us for monetary gain. And it mm-hmm. goes on to say like SDSU Flex was a scam to get students to pay for housing. $17,000 per student for the cheapest housing plan. Uh, there were a couple in-person labs this semester. Uh, so students like this person are being forced to live on campus. Uh, almost everyone in the residency halls that I work with at least uh, live with at least one other person. There have been a few positive COVID cases. Both roommates generally end up testing positive. Uh, students have to pay an additional $2,000 to live in a single unit of on-campus housing. And the prices, it, I don't. this isn't in the thread, but it looks like the prices haven't changed based on COVID, which is deranged to me. So here are the policies and regulations that SDSU housing has implemented in hopes to prevent a COVID outbreak. Everyone in the residence hall must wear a mask at all times unless in their personal space. Residents may not bring any guests whatsoever into the residence hall. Residents may only have one additional person in their room for every person who lives in the room. Uh, Max occupancies have been posted in every room and elevators to encourage social distancing. Uh, I I like the – if anybody's ever seen the size of a dorm – and having four people in a dorm, <laughs> there's not six feet. This is, it's no. just, well, yeah. and then, and they don't have to wear masks in the dorms. No. And these dorms are the only places a lot of these students can go to socialize, right? Cause all the shit is closed because of COVID or limited seating or whatever. So then they're just going from dorm to dorm to hang out with different friends. Cause they're bored and they're trapped in their fucking dorms. And then you get, uh, you, you know, it spreads. It spreads like wildfire. You know, one, all it takes is one person with COVID on campus, and pretty soon, hundreds of people on campus have COVID. Um, so the thread continues. I was told these policies would suffice, and maybe they would have if they were followed. Here's what actually has been happening the past two weeks: residents have entered the building late at night in large groups, most not wearing masks. Residents have exited the building and handed their friend's ID to someone who doesn't live in the building, so they can enter. There's no way to enforce how many people are in a room unless we receive a noise complaint and knock on a resident's door. Most residents do not social distance, especially if it's with their friends. Generally, groups of three to five, sometimes larger. And then there's a bunch of screen caps of the official policies and stuff that obviously aren't being followed. 
Um, there's a bunch of other really shocking stuff in this thread. I really, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. I really recommend that you take a look at this thread. Um, it's very worth reading, but then near the bottom, this person started to get texts from people, uh, who are also on the campus. And it says things like other things to note is that it is already taking them multiple days in some cases to relocate a student from the halls to an isolation space. Once they're confirmed, uh, as having COVID. I was, I was also, I was reading that, um, specifically in this, uh, with someone who had COVID, they were not actually quarantining and they found this out because they lost their key and went up to the front desk to get a replacement key. Yeah. And also, you know, even if you want to move rooms, like if you've been confirmed to have COVID and you need to move rooms, you have to go to the front desk to get your new card key for your new isolation room. So there's not, I mean, like it's just not built into the the structure at all. And then there were several tweets in the thread about how the athletics uh, department seemed to be encouraging athletes to not report or simply not go get tested so that they don't lose their athletic qualifications. Because of course these universities make it an inordinate amount of money off of their athletics programs. So it's just money at every turn. And the students want to do their sports, and they also probably are being being threatened of losing their scholarships if they aren't able to do their sports. And so, what if they're being financially tormented by this? Uh, I mean, by this threat yeah. of it's by this genuine threat to their livelihoods. And so, then that what they'll do is the what they get tested in outside places, right? Because then they can't they don't have to report it. Like and yep. Uh, and because like there is on-site testing, but if they test positive, they are going to have uh, quarantine. They're going to be separated from all the people, which is what should happen. But uh, like a lot of people in these sports programs are getting tested outside, and if they do test positive, they don't tell anyone. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, if you have a full ride or like a half ride or whatever to SDSU for a football scholarship, or I don't know what their big sport is, their basketball, whatever. Um, and then they tell you, like, hey, look, if you catch COVID and you have to miss 14 days of practice and or games, uh, you're not going to get to play this season. Like that, that destroys the trajectory that you were just on. So. You know, it it's really easy and it's going to continue to be really easy for people to just blame individuals. But the problem is that there are institutional failings here. There are structural failings, institutional negligence uh, and, and, you know, I, it's outright manslaughter, really. Like they're causing deaths. They're killing people by doing this. It's so frustrating to see systems literally designed to spread COVID. Because that's what we're seeing yeah. here. The, the, the system is designed to spread COVID. And and actually, any school that is open for in-person classes is, is doing an experiment to see if it's safe enough to spread COVID really wide. And, and whether or not, like, especially in younger in schools with younger children, whether or not, hey, can children survive? Are we going to see any dead children? Let's find out. Like just even right. the concept of like willing to say, let's find out if the children die, if the children get weaker hearts or lungs. Let's find out if their lungs shut down at the age of 25 after they got asymptomatic COVID when they were a kid. You know, like what kind of like what kind of society do we live in where it's OK to just experiment on people like this? I, I don't it's I mean, it's so immensely frustrating guess like when is this gonna shut down when when is san diego state university going to shut down because it's gonna have to if with all of these poor these poor practices how many cases do they have because they're probably wanting trans uh transparent um practices as well just like the michigan university uh, uh graduate students uh need transparency what do we even know when this place is going to shut down uh, how many cases no, I don't I, think we do. I, I have no idea. And if I had to guess, you know, I don't know the state of student organization or labor organization at this university, but if there is not a solid organized presence like that or some kind of mass outcry from parents or, or something, they're going to drag their feet all the way into many, many deaths. Yeah. You know, it's like if if you let even 30% of the students at a large university like this uh, catch COVID, you're going to have triple digit deaths on your hands. And that's yeah. like, 
you know, I think people are going to look back on this period and make a bunch of judgments about institutions that they once thought were perfectly fine and perfectly upstanding and, and realize what they were really like. Right. And this is going on in California where we're, we're like, we have like companies threatening to leave California because of their strict COVID rules and all that. But yet right. we also see like students in Kansas at, at the university of Kansas striking in support of graduate uh, teacher assistance. So I, I think that, mm-hmm. In general, this is an indictment of the United States as a whole. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Well, because this is all this is all par for the course, right? Like yeah. SDSU isn't doing anything that, you know, hundreds of universities across the country aren't also doing. It's just coming to a head. There's just somebody who knew how to make a really good Twitter thread about it at SDSU. So you know, if there's if there's labor issues, if there's health and safety issues, especially if there's school reopening issues going on anywhere near you, and you can amass information about it, or if you have a situation on the ground, you know, share it. Yeah, and go and put on a mask and go protest in front of your local school. Like, actually, go out there. Like, Absolutely. Like, do it. Like, one of the things that I was just mentioned these uh can these can University of Kansas students they play uh fifteen hundred. Uh, red and white flags on their camp uh, on their campus, each one representing the number of uh, coronavirus cases in their county. Yeah, like like do, like do actions that show people how fucking dangerous it is to keep being irresponsible. Yeah, and 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 really, you know, you know, rub it in their faces. Don't be afraid to like because there's no call this is not the time to be. Well, this is not the time to be polite. Yeah, call them murderers. Call them call them what they are. Because this is institutional violence. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I actually, I think now is a great time to uh, to talk about um, a false perception of institutional violence, which is uh, what we see in a strike that is going on in the UK. Oh yeah, at least from the the, the way that it's being reported. Um, yeah, which, the the reporting on this is pretty. Just the little snapshot of headlines that you you threw in the notes here is very revealing. Yeah, uh, it seems like there's something UK listeners and maybe people in other countries who uh, do receive UK supermarket type goods will recognize something called jammy dodgers uh i have no fucking idea what these are they look like uh little cookies they're vanilla cookies with jam in them that sounds i mean i sounds good i would love to try one but anyway jammy dodgers from the uk um the workers at the factory are planning a 24-hour stoppage uh, that they want to continue to repeat uh, on a weekly basis on Wednesdays. Yeah, and actually, I think that I put in the notes here that there's a total of 2,200 workers, and I think that that's actually just that's in the company as a whole. This particular factory that's going on strike is uh, 400 workers. Okay, and and they voted overwhelmingly. 91 percent of the of the people voting agreed to do this strike, and it's a 24 hour strike. So right. it's it's that repeats and it's, weekly on Wednesdays, right. right? And a, and apparently, according to one of these news outlets, this is, says it says warning: biscuits will run out across the UK if factory goes on strike. <laughs> so you will you will lose all of your cookies if they stop working for one day. And you know what? Good. Yeah. Look, these factory workers. If a quarter of the factory workers at this company go on strike once a week <laughs> for just one day on Wednesday, you are going to run out of jam-filled biscuits at your house. And you know we can't have that. We can't. We can't be disturbing the peace by letting these workers get the rights they deserve. It's just very like I wish I knew more about what these cookies are because I feel like I would be able to give better commentary on it. But it, it's just really interesting to see the way that like, as soon as something is about the workers it's, and then it hits the press, it's no longer about the workers. It's about whether or not you get your biscuits. Uh, this company's seen a, 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 a one third rise in their profits since the pandemic hit because everybody's hanging out inside eating their, their sugary biscuits. And this is this, <laughs> I just love this headline. The, the um what is it uh burton's biscuits in edinburgh uh faces trade union strike call as in like (laughs) this like and i love the the insinuation that that the strike is attacking the business like we we say this all the time when you have a union in your workplace and you improve the conditions you improve the work and like the work gets done better and like i just like this this 
anti-union sentiment, this anti-labor sentiment is is actually surprisingly pervasive in this cookie like story. Like yep. I I know that I've seen some people like, "Oh no, I want we want uh people to go back to school because kids have struggled to learn online." And it's like it's an appeal to like an emotional part, but like this one is literally saying, "Don't support labor, you'll lose your cookies." Yeah. <laughs> And of course, like what they're really striking over is that uh, Burton's Biscuits, which is the the parent company that makes these Jemmy Dodgers and also um, Wagon Wheels and Maryland Cookies, uh, the union accused Burton's Biscuits of making them a derisory pay offer that insulted the workers. And it appears that the offer that they made was a 1.6% a uh, wage increase for the next year. And then when the union asked them to negotiate on it, they simply refused. They said, look, we're, we're not going to raise it. 1.6 is what you get. And like, you know, fucking that's worth striking over because 1.6 is fucking nothing. That's not even a fucking cost of living adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, any like wages should be going up and it should be above like any sort of inflation that's going on. Like, we like we say before. I mean, we need to double wages. I mean, like let's. But but yeah. like when you're talking about like a union negotiation, it is tough to get up to the to a number like two hundred percent. So I mean, like I'm guessing that in the end they're probably going to get five. I hope that they get whatever they're striking for and whatever the workers. I mean, I don't know what how intense yeah, this kind of work is. There's not a lot of good reporting on this. Either. No, it doesn't really seem like it. Um, it seems like all of the reporting on it is basically just like, are our cookies in danger? More at eleven. Um, yeah, and because like, and it was funny because it was on like the front page. You could like, I think uh, if you if you do the thing like you uh, you Google the word strike. This is going to be on the first two pages. Yeah. And yet somehow we have no information about it. Well, because the internet uh, is algorithmically trying to suppress it as labor news at the same time that it's trying to algorithmically boost it as cookie news, which traditionally drives a lot of advertising revenue. (laughs) So uh, definitely uh, solidarity with the Burton's Biscuits uh, workers and, and yeah, I hope you get your your pay yeah. rise. Am I saying that right, British people? For your biscuits, <laughs> it's a pay raise for cookies. <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, let's talk about another indulgence. This one uh, being back in the United States and uh, a bit more of an adult style indulgence. Uh, Surly Brewing in Minneapolis uh, has recently shut down a beer hall indefinitely. Uh, laying off about 110 workers uh, literally two days after they found out that the co- that the workers had decided to form a union. Wow. It what they said uh, that it's been in the works for weeks and that they have seen too many uh, you know too much of a downturn from COVID, which if we know anything about like even the last story, indulgences haven't gone down those companies are making profits like immeasurable profits right now oh yeah hand over fist there's no way that that they were actually losing money in this and i bet if that we were able to see the the actual books we would we would see that reflected and we would realize that this uh beer hall was closed specifically because the workers were trying to uh, unionize uh, with Unite Here Local 17. This this threat is a classic. This is what a lot of union busters will use. They'll say, well, we can't afford to negotiate with a union, and so we'll just close down the business. Well, the Surly Brewing actually did it. They they didn't actually because uh, I'm guessing that the workers had organized uh, well enough to make keep it a secret, or maybe they it wasn't a secret, and that the company didn't let on that they knew, and that the planning for weeks was literally them knowing that the union movement was coming. And as soon right. as they saw the election, they said, "All right, well, we had this planned. Two days later, we're you're all getting laid off." I mean, I think that's something or somebody probably tip them off and then they were just like well and then you know they they have no problem lying either that's the thing like they could have found out about this like 
three days prior. And then they would have been like, oh yeah, well, you know, we were already figuring out how to scale stuff back due to COVID. We can call that preparing for a shutdown too. Oh yeah. We've been thinking about doing this for weeks. It has nothing to do with the unionization drive. And it's just like, it's just such a fucking cheap move. Uh, to, to be like, oh, my employees want me to take slightly better care of them in response to them throwing away a third of their day every single day coming in here and working for me. And it's like, well, how about I just fucking fire them all and, uh, give myself, uh, a, a reason to fire them all that will look okay to other business owners and other local authority figures. Yeah. And this all coming like right around Labor Day, um, which, I think is is kind of um, is is supposed to be telling of why capital thinks that they have control over labor. I mean, like they can. This like so. There's there's an a. Uh, we would hope that something like this would be illegal, but unfortunately, it's not. They you can like they can't like force a business to stay open. It's there's no like legal precedent that that's like one of the one retaliation moves that a company has that is kind of un um it's it's an un it's unactionable and so i do uh want to give i have some bad news for all the beer drinkers out there uh you're never gonna drink another surly beer ever again that's right that's right i already hadn't but i i can keep up my streak now <laughs> well, i'll go, go to the grave having never tasted 30 this years strong yeah that's right <laughs> how dare you tell them how old i almost am <laughs> <laughs> Very I close. Was thinking, I was thinking about me, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, um, I, and I and I bring up Labor Day because I I I did want to talk about it a little bit before we get into the meme review, um, because this is something that we celebrate, and it's actually a lot of people get the day, uh, so a lot of managers get the day off. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean that's so it. true. I was just gonna be like, you know, I didn't get the fucking day off. Right. <laughs> I had to go valet cars for eight hours, just like any other fucking Monday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I and I was like, well, I you always hear that this is like kind of like the the not as good May Day, and and I wanted to kind of get a little bit of information about this because, uh, I I just. I believed it, but I wanted to kind of do a little bit of research. And so what I did was I looked up, like, what caused Labor Day to come into existence. What I looked up was that uh, on June 28th, uh, 1894, President Grover Cleveland signed, uh, like, Labor Day into law, basically saying that the first Monday of uh, September— will be a day um, for international workers. Now, one of the things that I think is important to, to, to look at is that uh, in 1889, just five years earlier, May Day was uh, kind of created through, um, uh, after, or, after two, or, th- or three years later, after the Haymarket Affair. And so... Right, created by the Second International, which was a uh, international coalition of socialists and communists. Right, and so so clearly that being the more militant um, holiday, they wanted to. They didn't want to give labor another. They didn't want to give like labor another day. They wanted to give labor a day that they gave, not one that labor right. earned. And so and so, what we see here is kind of like a. Um, what do you call it? it's it, it's an op obviously but well it's but like co-opting a it's mi- a, a misdirection yeah well it's like trying to reassimilate and sanitize uh actual working people's movements back into something that's liberalized and acceptable and doesn't get in the way of business as usual too much yeah absolutely and i think that uh one thing that's really also important to 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 point out is that there is no federal holiday for may day i i don't at least to my knowledge i mean there was no information about that when i was looking into it and so if may like they could have easily instead of creating labor day they could have just put may day on the books as the federal holiday they could have done that instead but no what they did was they created a different holiday and like good like 
all workers should have another day off, especially, you know, or any, I know that it's mostly like federal employees who get Labor Day, but, uh, but if it was a second May Day, that would be one thing, but it's not. It's literally, it's literally covering up May Day, making it so that that's not a real holiday according to the government. Well, we should, uh, Maybe instead of trying to tell people like, hey, you know, Labor Day isn't the real Labor Day. May Day is really about like, because people don't want to listen to that. What we should tell them is something everybody likes. Like, hey, okay, May Day, everybody just doesn't go to work. Doesn't matter if your bosses tell you it's okay or not. Just don't show up. Labor Day, same thing. Doesn't matter what the federal government says, who they say it's for. Just don't show up to work. And then announcing announcing this year... Uh, we're going to be in a tradition called May Day 2 Electric Boogaloo. That's in February. And then in <laughs> April of the year after that, we're going to introduce May Day 3 Havana Nights. Uh, and we're just going to keep going <laughs> until yeah, pretty you soon you have two-thirds of the year off. I was actually thinking about that. It's like we really need to just make the first Monday of every single month uh, a strike day. Just make the weekend longer, really. I think that just <laughs> just everybody stop going to work oh, on Mondays you're right. in I, perpetuity. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually you're right. I'm 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 opping myself by, by like by restricting what I want. We were already talking about the the four twenty sixty nine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, work and week. Like, yeah, and like well, four days a week. Well, we could just make Monday that day off. Uh, and I was. I was like uh, selling myself short immediately when I'm like, oh, we should do it the first Monday of every month. How about the first Monday of every week? Right. Well, and that's the thing is it's like we should we should fucking strike for like four months. Be like for four months, we're not coming in on Monday. And if you don't recognize that at the corporate level uh, by the end of those four months or if there's not some kind of law or like general acceptance of that by the end of the four months, We'll do Tuesday too. We'll just start taking days away <laughs> until eventually you recognize us, and that's how many days you get. How stubborn you are, that's how little of our labor you get. Yeah, I, mean, I think that it's, it's a like, bit of a fantasy, but like if we had real working power in the United States, like if we really did have one big union or a strong union coalition or something, we could achieve things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, I think that that brings us directly to the meme review where we've got <laughs> kind of actually we usually go with a theme i think that we went we went without the theme this time and we went with just a couple different uh really good memes these are all with the exception of of uh a couple it seems like the theme is just like recent events because like our first one is specific to the Boat rally for Trump that happened in Lake Travis in Texas. Uh, and Lena did let me know before we started recording. This is a Photoshop picture of the Trump flag on there. It's not actually from the boat rally. Um, but you just see somebody under it who says, who's commenting on Facebook because it's a, it's a Trump boat at the bottom of a lake. It says it's even more ironic when you find out that it was because the bigger, richer boats sped by the smaller, poorer boats and created waves that sunk the smaller boats. Once again, the poorer want to gain class solidarity with the rich who don't give a shit about them and never did. Yep. I mean, like I, it's not, it's almost like not even a meme. And I, and I know I say this all the time and you're always like, no, it's definitely a meme, but it's, (laughs) But but it it's just truth on a piece like with a picture like above it. It like really goes to show that just because you're rich enough to own a boat doesn't mean that like you suddenly know what to do with a boat. Like boating etiquette exists for a reason. You don't create a wake that's going to fuck with the other boats who need to follow you around. And I don't know how big like Travis is, but there were an insane number of boats out on this lake, all crossing paths and shit. Like I think four sunk. I'm surprised more didn't sink. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just yeah. think that that's funny. Um, I, I think that, um, I want to do this next one, which is, uh, it's, a, it's a comment, uh, commentary on the gender reveal party that started that giant forest fire. Yeah. In California. And <laughs> this particular one is a, uh, it's a photo of the twin towers after that. And they're smoking and the smoke is pink and the caption just says, it's a girl. And and it, <laughs> I think it's just so on point of like, like why the fuck are we still doing this after we've seen hundreds, hundreds of, of gender reveal parties literally cause like for forest fires and, and, and like fires I, I, or major injuries. Yeah. Injuries. Any number of other things. Well, this is the second and, gender reveal party to start a major brush fire 
on the or forest fire on the west coast in the last two years so so stop doing gender reveal parties you don't even know what the gender of your child is well Uh, and the other funny thing about this is when that info came out and it was like the the forest fire was started by a gender reveal party i was like oh i'm gonna tweet a really funny thing about 9-11 being a gender reveal party and then i tweeted it and then i was like i wonder if anybody else thought of that so i twitter searched 9-11 gender reveal and it's just like pages and pages you can scroll through of people all making the exact same joke and all the tweets are from like the last couple hours but this is the best execution of that yeah. of that idea that I've seen. Yeah, and I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do this. One. So this is an older meme. You said that it's actually been around for quite a long time, but yeah, I, I wanted you, to bring it in. If you travel in the Waluigi circles like I do, you really get to know the primo <laughs> Waluigi memes. But this one, this one, it's older, but I don't think a lot of people have seen it. And it's just it says who should play Waluigi in a live action film, and then it has uh, five actors photoshopped into Waluigi costumes. They're Danny Trejo, Steve Buscemi, Mr. Bean, Cole Sprouse, and Daniel Day-Lewis. And they all look fucking hilarious. But know, for my money... Just, yeah, who, who do you... Nothing, nothing would be better or more satisfying to me than a Danny Trejo Waluigi. I that was dude thinking is a the same thing, legend. but I also love the Steve Buscemi. Uh, like, I just... I think that it would be funny. In terms of who would like really nail Waluigi the best, it's it's a toss up between Mr. Bean and Daniel Mr. Day Bean. Lewis because yeah, Daniel like- <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is such a committed method actor that he might actually do a fantastic job. But Mr. Bean is like a shoe in a shoe in for Waluigi personality wise. But that's what I like so much about the Danny Trejo and the Steve Buscemi or Waluigi's is because they would be like a gritty they would bring like a gritty weirdness to it that I think people could really appreciate. Oh, I, I thought you were going to go directly to the other mascot of, of leftism gritty <laughs> gritty. Yeah. <laughs> All those but, gritty and Waluigi memes that came out in, what was that? 2018. I think that was, popular. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, so this, we, we do have two more, one of them being literally just a line of text, <laughs> uh, which you might, you might've seen float around. Uh, it's man door hand hook car door everybody <laughs> <laughs> the greatest creepypasta of all time but uh it says um some of y'all i don't know who needs to hear this but let that sink in just saying and it shows <laughs> just, it's just like I, every sassy facebook post or twitter post ever just distilled down into their purest essence. I loved it. It it really it really felt catty in a way that like sang to me. Like <laughs> <laughs> just catty cattiness in the absolute abstract. Just like cattiness not grounded in anything. Just this is the platonic ideal of cattiness. Is just some of y'all IDK who needs to hear this, but let that sink in just saying and it shows. Like it's just <laughs> all the go. attitude no yeah, substance you whatsoever it than I do. that's good i like that <laughs> it's just that's my mental cadence when i read bullshit like this <laughs> yeah and then the last one is a meme made directly for work stoppage uh that's right it's uh, just a, a twitter post uh which lyrics is... from uh wet ass pussy i believe <laughs> that have been repurposed yeah uh, uh certified freak seven days a week question mark this is why we must unionize because <laughs> why are we the sort of every seven? We need, we, we need four days a week at most. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, there needs to be at least three days of rest. It's incredibly tiring to be a certified freak that much to be doing it seven <laughs> days a week is, is taking years off of your life. Probably that's yeah. not a healthy work environment. Exactly. Yeah. Or so, a living situation or whatever it may be. So unionize your life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's right. Uh, support us on Patreon. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash work stoppage. Uh, give us a five-star review on Apple podcasts. Um, John, you can get him at Facebook villain, me at solidarity B, check him out on beep beep lettuce. I, I know that I always get to the end of this list and want to make sure that we got it all. Did we get it all? I think so. Uh, I stream sometimes on Twitch uh twitch.tv slash bp lettuce pod oh yeah come play mario kart with us yeah and saturday night this week i'm gonna be trying uh australian snacks on the extremely online left twitch stream i think that's twitch.tv slash extremely online left uh come and visit me if you're from the united states it'll be saturday night if you're over there in australia or somewhere around there it will be sunday morning awesome all right y'all 
thanks so much for uh, listening to Work Stoppage on uh, our 12th episode. We're looking forward to do doing, what, 3,000 more? Yeah, I think 3,000, and then we're going to hard cap it. No more. We're just going to stop abruptly, yeah. like the Sopranos. <laughs> All right, y'all. Have a good one. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.